I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and our pal Eric Gilland is back. Hi, Eric. Hey, Rob. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to have you back. Uh, we're here to talk about Can You Please Crawl Out Your Window, one of the great song titles of all time. Uh, this song is unusual in that it's a single. It was released as a single in December of 1965. It never appeared on an album proper. Uh, Eric, why did you want to – you sent me a list of a couple of songs, one of which uh, I won't mention but is super (laughs) ambitious, and I wasn't quite ready for it. This one's a little easier. Why did you want to talk about this one? Well, I think you said it already. I think it was always the title of the song. I always thought it was such a cool title for a song. And I think I I finally tracked it down one time and loved the song, and there's some interesting history behind it. I mean this – the whole period – in 65 when Dylan was really at a creative peak at that time. But, um, but I love the lyrics to the song. I think it's one of lyrically, it's a very, um, interesting song in a lot of ways. So yeah, yeah. I just, um, I was always a big fan of the song. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those ones that really, again, sort of fell through the cracks because as you mentioned, it was recorded in 1965. It was part of the highway 61 revisited sessions. Uh, the backing band he's got with him here are the, is the band known as the Hawks at that time. And, uh, it was, it was released again as a single. It was never put on greatest hits volume one from 1968 or greatest hits volume two from 1971. It wasn't actually released on any sort of album version until it appeared on Biograph in 1985, the box set. And Eric, I'm interested if if you agree with me on this, because when I think about this song, uh, I mean, it's clearly uh, Bob's uh, sort of uh, series of entreaties to someone, uh, to a specific person. And I I look at this song uh, kind of the way I think it fits in of a piece with Like a Rolling Stone and Queen Jane approximately, and positively Fourth Street, where it's a specific message to someone to wake up. Wake the hell up. That is the message he's trying to convey, I would say, in all four of those songs. And in each song, he takes a slightly different tack. I mean, Like a Rolling Stone is obviously very accusatory. Queen Jane Approximately is a lot warmer. Uh, It's a lot more forgiving of the subject. Positively Fourth Street is just withering. I mean, it's just brutal. I mean, he absolutely despises uh, the person uh, that he's talking about in Positively Fourth Street. But for this one, can you please crawl out your window? It's the, to me, it's the most humorous of the four. It's got much more of a kind of like, uh, it's, it's Bob at the window. I mean, obviously, it, 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 it brings to mind the idea of like uh, Romeo and Juliet. Or Cyrano de Bergerac, you know, where you've got someone at at a woman's window and he's calling to her, trying to get her out of there. And it seems like um, he's sort of in charge. He's with like a bunch of hooligans. That's one I'm picturing in my mind when he's singing to this person. I mean, it opens up with he sits in your room, his tomb with a fistful of tacks, preoccupied with his vengeance, cursing the dead that can't answer him back. 
I'm sure that he has no intentions of looking your way unless it's to say that he needs you to test his inventions, which is, I love that rhyme scheme. Can you please crawl out your window? Use your arms and legs. It won't ruin you. How can you say he will haunt you? You can go back to him any time that you want to. I mean, it, I, that is, I love that turn of phrase, man. He is killing it with this song. I agree. I agree completely. That's a stunning opening verse. And I agree, too, that it's definitely on the same plane with those other songs that you mentioned. Um, I've read I did a little research on it, and I know it's some consider it's almost like a cousin to like a Rolling Stone. Like it's it's I I call it like that genre of I told you so songs that Mm -hmm. Dylan loved to write during that period. And as you said, probably aimed at someone i guess there could be different um possibilities there as as far as who he was you know aiming the the song at but yeah i agree the rhyme screen the rhyme scheme is great and like you said it's a humorous song it's a really funny song and there's a version i've heard where it's dylan seems to be really having a good time singing it and I think it's, um, but it's also kind of dark too. I mean, there's definitely some, you know, ominous lyrics in this song too, which makes it interesting. So it's, it's, um, light and dark and kind of everything in between, which makes it a really, um, cool song, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the person he's singing to seems to be in the thrall of someone else, specifically a man. And he's, that that's that's a recurring motif in a lot of other of Dylan's songs of whether it's like a Rolling Stone again and uh, he even mentions uh, you know there's there's the you if you want to really go biographical you could say he's talking to uh, his future wife Sarah because Sarah Dylan was married to Sarah Lowndes at the time was married to some magazine magnate who was apparently not the nicest guy in the world and when he found out that that his uh, soon to be ex wife was dating Bob Dylan he apparently made. Uh, his life, her life, a lot harder for them uh, because he had a lot of money and sort of got in way in there. So I mean, there was, you know, you could say that that's part of this too. Again, this is more humorous. And you mentioned the 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 the, the background and the background music. That's a terrible way of referring to it. The the musical accompaniment that the band provides is this sort of swirling mass of sound, and it almost has a kind of like kaleidoscopy feel, almost like a circus where you could see Bob. Uh, you know, uh, wherever he is singing up to this person, well, the, all these crazy people are running around in the back. I mean, he goes on when he sings, he says, he looks so truth. Is this how he, he looks so truthful? Is this how he feels trying to peel the moon and expose it with his business like anger and his bloodhounds that kneel? If he needs a third eye, he just grows it. He just talks you. He just needs you to talk or hand him his chalk or pick him, pick it up after he throws it. And then he goes in again to the refrain, please crawl out your window. Why does he look so righteous while your face is so changed? Are you frightened of the box you keep him in while his genocide fools and his friends rearrange their religion of the little tin women that backs up their views, but your face is so bruised? Come on out, the dark is just beginning. I mean, again, that's that darkness you're talking about. Your face is so bruised. I mean, yeah. is he talking literally about that this, this, the person he's singing to is is getting beat up by the, the, the man in her life, presumably that again, it's, that's a, that's a really kind of dark side to it. Despite the, the sort of 
fun way Dylan sings it. And you mentioned the other versions. Yeah, he cut like eight or nine versions of this song. Uh, a lot of you can hear them on the, the Bootleg Series Volume Twelve. And yeah, it's he Dylan does sound like he's having a a, a fun time singing the song. Yeah, and Ben, what you said with the different versions of it. Like the first version I heard of is probably my favorite, and I can't track it down anymore it must it was i think it was on the internet at some point but but it was a much tighter recording i guess like dylan sounded like really focused and the band sounded a bit tighter and it seems like the other versions i hear it's more like you said almost like a bar band type vibe (laughs) coming off from it you know which is fine but there's this one version i've heard i can't find i'm sure it's out there somewhere but it's much it's more like like a Rolling Stone. It has more of that type of energy to it, as opposed to the more the lighthearted, you know, vibe off of like was on Biograph, and I think on the the Cutting Edge that came out recently, right, two thousand fifteen. Yeah, yeah, that one's a bit slower. Like that has a bit of a kind of a slower vibe to it but but yeah um the the different versions are interesting how this song works for yeah. sure D- dylan has mentioned uh you know in retrospect about that uh i mean people we can talk about it eventually whenever i do the episode on like a rolling stone which is that's a that's a massive undertaking is is covering yeah. that song but he talked about that he wrote that song uh, on a plane plane uh, ride back from England, and it was originally like nine pages, and he distilled it down into the six minutes. And he said that once he wrote that song and opened up channels uh, in his mind uh, to write songs in a way he had never been able to write songs before. And this is, uh, I, I don't I don't want to undercut the song in that it's just saying that it's a variation, but it, it kind of is a little. I mean. From the the readings I've done about uh, Dylan recording at the time, he really would go into the studio with, in sometimes, just a couple of fragments of lyrics and sort of threw it together in the studio. Would just get the musicians to start playing, and eventually he would sort of come up with something, which is, you know, really um, a high wire act. Because I mean, you know, the, the 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 you know the meters running at that point you know once you've booked a studio and you're hoping that you're just going to be able to throw together the song and he was obviously in thrall of the surrealistic lyrics that he was doing i mean the the refrain of the crease can you please crawl out your window use your arms and legs it won't ruin you i can say he will haunt you you go back to him anytime that you want to i like how that the the chorus is pretty grounded I mean, that isn't particularly surrealistic, but then all the stuff in the middle about the growing the third eye and all that stuff, the little tin women, I mean, all that stuff is him with the flights of fancy. And he, later he would pursue that even further on Blonde on Blonde, where almost all the songs are like these sort of abstract surrealistic paintings. But I mean, it's you could tell he was, it's like he's just on the edge of it all falling apart in a way. I mean, this song sounds like that, uh, where it's like it's, you sound like the band is just sort of holding on for dear life, and I think that was what gives it this kind of crazy manic energy. Uh, at least that's what I hear when I hear him singing it. It's just it feels like it all could spin out very quickly. And there are um, takes of other songs that he's done where it did fall apart, where like he he messes up the words or he throws off the rhythm. There's a there's an alternate version of "Stuck Inside of Mobile" where he throws himself off because the word he messes up the words and he he's like, "Whoa, wait a minute, hold on." But I mean, it's this this particular song has that kind of crazy energy that you're like, but he is he's the band is just holding on for dear life. I'm sure as tight as they sound, they're really kind of 
watching Bob and trying to follow what he's doing, which is, again, a really sort of crazy way of doing it and incredibly confident for someone who was all of 25 years old. You know, 25, when you think about that, that he was he was able to sort of put all this together and just say, all right, let's just see what happens. Boom, and we start playing the song. It's, a, it's remarkable. Yeah, you're right. And there's that famous photograph of Dylan kind of in the studio and he's standing up and everyone else is just kind of sitting there. I mean, he looks kind of like a general, just like, you know, (laughs) telling everyone, you know, you do this, you do that. Let's try this. You know, just like, it's almost like, like, like you said, all these lyrics he had, and it's just like, like abstract art or something, just like trying to throw all this together and, you know, to congeal into, into something, you know, which, which makes this period so so interesting, you know, where he really was interested in surrealism. Like in this song, I, I kind of pick up like a Ginsberg influence on this song. Sure, like yeah. this, the the genocide fools. That's that's a stunning lyric, I think, and that's that sounds like a, a Ginsberg type line, you know, something out of Howl or something, mm-hmm. where he, he really he really um, the little ten women. Like that's one of the oddest you know, images, you know, Dylan's ever come up with just a religion of little tin women is such a odd image, but once again, a pretty compelling one, you know, to think about these. Yeah. Dylan's always had a very withering opinion of people who manipulate others. And that that line, that line about the, uh, the religion of the little tin women. I mean, that to me, you know, feels it's like men who are using women for their own, uh, selfish needs, and you know, I'm sure Dylan was capable of that in his own way. In fact, there's a there's a story related to this particular song, which I'll I'll mention, which is doesn't paint Dylan in, in the most favorable light in the world. But he, I mean, whether you're going all the way back to say Masters of War, he's always had that kind of glaring eye towards people oh, who yeah. use others for their own benefit, and that's that line, the religion of the little tin women. It's you picture these sort of you know, fat cat guys just pushing <laughs> women around on a little chessboard as if they yeah. are just pieces to be manipulated. And, you know, yeah. uh, it, it's that, that's what it, that's what that line jumps out to me when I hear, but you're right. The genocide, genocide fools, that could be an Ellen Ginsburg poem. And you yeah. would, you'd be like, Oh yeah, sure. I could totally buy that. I could hear that. And one of the things that I, I that's un- again, an unusual for this song, and it doesn't mention it on the official lyrics page on Bob Dylan.com is that, the very last verse of this song, which sounds like Dylan just decided to throw it in at the last second, is he says, you got a lot of nerve to say you are my friend if you won't come out your window. And of course, you've got a lot of nerve to say you are my friend is a line from Positively Fort Street. So he's cribbing right. himself. Uh, it reminds me of um, uh, All You Need Is Love, where, where the Beatles start singing She Loves You, Yeah, 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 at the end of their own song. I mean, it's they're, they're their own right. influencers at this point. I love that Dylan throws yeah. that in. This is really funny. <laughs> yeah, he's getting, he's like you said, he's 25, and he's already getting self-referential. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and the thing, too, like, you know, it sounds archaic to talk in these terms, but, like, the anti-establishment stuff is really, I think, in this song, too, you know, like, the business-like anger, you know, just imagine like some, you know, establishment guy just kind of getting angry, you know, and ordering off his minions to to take care of things and and just like the sense of entitlement and power, you know, that going back to Masters of War, you know, like mm-hmm. things like that. So there's that kind of that anti-establishment 
you know, thing he's going in here, whether it's the relationship where, you know, she's, as you said, um, what Sarah's hus- ex or ex-husband was magazine publisher or something. Some, something so, like that, yeah. Some, a very big, very powerful guy. Power, a powerful guy, okay. So that's probably coming into play too here. Like Ballad of a Thin Man, you know, another takedown of, of the establishment. And, you know, that was another element in the song that I find interesting, you know, that's that aspect of it too. And it's, it's interesting in that Dylan sort of, I, this was apparently briefly considered to be on Highway 61. There are, um, uh, there are apparently like music sheets. Uh, Clinton Halen talks about them in, in one of his books on Dylan, where this was shortlisted for the album. Um, it's, it's funny when you, when you look at, uh, how Highway 61 could have been compiled because there's other versions where Desolation Row is not the final song, which is just inconceivable. And when you hear it now, you're like, how could that album not end with anything other than Desolation Row? But this was apparently uh, considered for it. And, and, you know, Dylan was kind of, um, at this point, a little interested in, in making hits. I mean, I don't think he ever quite gave himself over to that kind of, you know, I just want a number one single. But he was... Uh, a little jealous of the Beatles, you know, that the, the Beatles were able to sort of marry this very sophisticated and ever-changing art, uh, musical art that they were doing with massive commercial success. And Dylan never had that level of success. His previous single had been Positively Four Street, which was a single-only song, and that had been a fairly decent-sized hit. So when he put this one out he thought this would be a similar hit and it was not it really kind of didn't go anywhere um one little piece of trivia is apparently some columbia test presser mistook this song for positively fourth street and released a single labeled positively fourth street that had this song on it and that and it was uh, quickly recalled by columbia records and is now uh, a collector's item, of course, and it's probably worth like a million dollars if you happen to have it. But this song didn't do particularly well as a single. It kind of came and went. And later on, uh, while Dylan was traveling in a limo with some of his friends and uh, a fellow folk singer named Phil Ox, he asked Ox uh, what he thought of uh, the new single. And Ox made the mistake of being honest with Dylan and said he didn't like it too much. And uh, Dylan had the limo stopped and threw, he threw Phil Ox out of the car. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, if you've ever seen the, the movie, uh, I'm sure you have, uh, Eric, and uh, whoever's listening, uh, whether they've seen it or not, the Don't Look Back documentary, um, Dylan in 1965 was not the easiest person to be around. His ego was massive. And uh, they would do these things called truth attacks, which is really just a, a hip term for being an asshole, I would say, where they just verbally would demolish someone. And it was kind of a really hostile in-crowd kind of thing, and anyone could be turned on at any moment's notice. And, of course, if you're hanging around Bob Dylan, you want to curry his favor because he's the, he's the star there. He's the, the, he's the magnetic north of this particular group. And so Phil Oakes had the, the temerity to tell Dylan he didn't like the song. And uh, that, that really earned him Dylan's enmity for a while. But, it, you know, in some ways Phil Oakes was proved, was proved out because this single didn't go anywhere. And um, the song was only performed once in concert, only one time. Uh, on October 1st, 1965, I don't think there's any, I've never heard that version, whether there's a bootleg of that concert out anywhere, but apparently I guess Dylan realized 
you know, it wasn't anything he really wanted to do much with. So it was performed once in concert, then forgotten. And as I mentioned, it was never put on any of the greatest hits albums. So it really was just sort of forgotten long until 1985 when Biograph came out. But I mean, I do think it's a genuinely great song, it's a genuinely fun song. But apparently, you know, Dylan realized, yeah, this wasn't going to be a hit single. It was, this wasn't what people really necessarily wanted to hear. Yeah. And I was thinking about that too. Like, I don't know where it fits in on the Highway 61 album. Like, it yeah, certainly yeah. sounds like it, it belongs. Yeah. yeah, like, where do you put it? It just seems kind of like an outlier song, you know? And that's interesting to think about a version of the album with that song on it. And yeah, too. Then the, the thing with Phil Oaks, I've read about you know and i think what what did dylan say to him say to him but you're you're a journalist get out of here you're nothing but a journalist which was like a a put down yeah to that you know you're just like all you do is write topical songs you know and i'm not doing that anymore you know yeah but, yeah but like what were the truth attacks like what what was what was that all about anyway I really think that was just a way of, of you know, constantly keeping people at odds and, and uh, on their toes. I mean, you know, but Dylan was pretty pretty brutal to, to people at this time. Again, it, it's I give him – we have to do a whole episode on this movie, on, on Don't Look Back. But, I mean, you know, yes. Dylan was pretty – I admired Dylan that he was willing to let the movie Don't Look Back be released – because it doesn't paint him in the most flattering light. I mean, he was pretty nasty to Joan Baez. She came with him on that tour, and then he completely ignored her. I don't want to say I can't blame him, because, sure, the amount of people trying to curry his favor was so massive uh, at this time. And even, again, to bring up the Beatles, I mean, nobody was more successful than the Beatles, period. There's just There's never been anything as successful as the Beatles. But, it, like, there was at least four of them, you know, to, for the energy to kind of be... Uh, dispersed a little more equally, and if you were if you were freaked out being a Beatle, well, you had three other guys to commiserate with, but Dylan didn't have that. There was one of him. Everybody wanted to be around. I mean, he had the band with him. He had Robbie Robertson and Garth Hudson and Rick Danko and all those guys. But nevertheless, he was the sole guy. It was Bob Dylan. It wasn't a group. And so, you know, he was probably pretty paranoid. Maybe he had a, was definitely imbibing a lot of substances. Um, so I think the truth attacks were just kind of a hipster way of being vicious under the guise of I'm keeping it real, man. And, you yeah. know, it's pretty tiresome. And luckily, you know, I mean, for all of this, Dylan had that, I don't want to say that was a good thing, but Dylan had that motorcycle accident, which seemed to kind of like center him a little because he ended up holding up in Woodstock. And the Dylan that emerged from that time ended up being a very different guy than the, the version that we see in, in 1965. I mean, just you hear the song can you please call out your window and it's so manic and so high energy you just know well this is a guy probably definitely on methamphetamines and how long can you keep this up you know i mean you're it's i mean you i've read in books where they talked about that he would stay up for 36 hours at a time i mean you can't do that to yourself you're eventually going to crash and you know look at what happened to people of Dylan's stature at that time i mean uh, jimmy hendrix and janice joplin and jim morrison and brian jones i mean at least a lot of these people didn't make it out dylan managed to sort of do it but i mean you you hear this song and while it's very funny and you get, as you mentioned it's also very dark it's you almost kind of say well how much further can he go with this how much more manic can something get before you start kind of cracking 
a little. And, you know, maybe it was, it was he was fortunate that he got married. I'm sure his wife helped center him in. They started having kids right away. He adopted Sarah's daughter that, he, that she had with her previous husband, Hans Lowndes, I believe was his name. So, I mean, he found a way to sort of center himself, which is probably a good idea because I don't know if I'd want to hear – like more and more, I mean, once you get past positively four street, I don't know how much more angry you want to get, you know, <laughs> it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, and there's a lot, like you said, there's don't, don't look back. And there's a lot of footage of Dylan from that time period. And yeah, there's a lot, of, I know not to go to that film, but the part where he kind of, there's a college student talking to him and he just obliterates this guy. He's just, you know, and, and I heard a story too, that I think Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones said apparently Dylan, um, really laid into him one time and really like got, you know, bothered Brian Jones, you know? So he was, yeah, I read stuff. Yeah. He was, I, I think maybe he just felt like you were saying, like he just felt, isolated couldn't trust anybody and you know it was and it comes out in his songs too i mean the last lyric in this song coming out the dark is beginning you know he doesn't he doesn't say it's getting dark outside he says the dark is beginning so we can put a lot of layers and what that means you know it's you know he could be is he referring to himself there you know it's a very interesting phrase you know it's kind of has apocalyptic tinge to it so and i love but the way the way he sings it he makes it sound so appealing though you know it sounds it sounds like something you might want to participate in even though as you say the the phrase is dark is just beginning You're like oh lord but it it sounds like a party it sounds like he's like come on out and have fun with us there's probably yeah. a motley gang of people out on the street you're up there but i mean again he's saying things aren't so great for you because your your face is so bruised i mean he's this this person that he's singing to is being mistreated, and he's trying to get them to come out and join. And so this person might be kind of like, well, geez, I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things like better the devil you know. You know, I mean, the, that gang down there might be kind of scary too. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's that's yeah. all that in this song, and it's all in about three minutes and thirty five seconds, and it'll just mm-hmm. it's just such a great clip. It, it I had never heard this until Biograph, until I bought Biograph because I I never had the single or anything, and I was like. Like wow, what is this? Like what is this craziness? You know, and but it's I I really do like it. It's one, I, it's not one that I listen to a lot, but every time I I dig it out and play it, when I played it again a couple times before this recording, I was like, man, I enjoy this. This is a really fun, high energy, creepy, dark thing, and it it fits into a piece with what he was doing in 1965. It just it's it is such a snapshot of where he was as a songwriter in 1965, and going back to. You know his ego. I mean, good lord, he spent the he spent 1962 through 1965 being told by everybody that he was like the greatest genius ever to walk the face of the earth. How does that not get to you when you're 24 years old? You know, how does that not turn you a little bit into a monster if you have everybody telling you how great you are? That's I I don't know if anybody could withstand that and come out you know looking good. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, and I think at the end of the day, it's it's a positive song. You know, it's like you can apply to anyone like, you know, you can get out of this. You know, there's you know, there's an escape. You know, it's there, whatever situation you're in, you know, in this case, it's a, a bad relationship. But, you know, you, you can get out of it. You know, Dylan's saying, hey, there's a way out. You know, there's a way out. And, you know, and Windows, like I think you mean, like Windows seems to be like something that it comes up and was it um, 
come out from your window. It ain't, is that it ain't me, babe? Um, how that song opens? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so windows are, I guess, at least at that period, some recurring images in his in his songs, you know. But, but yeah, in the end, I, it is a very it's complicated song, but I think at the end you come out kind of exhilarated, you know, kind of after listening to this one, which is one thing I always liked about it. Yeah. Yeah. Dylan is, Dylan is big on, on the freedom of the complete unknown, you know, and he talks about it literally in like a Rolling Stone, like a complete unknown, the idea of when you got nothing, nothing left to lose. The idea of the freedom of that, is married to the terror of that, how scary that might be. But he's sort of acknowledging that, you know, it's better to embrace it, embrace that. I mean, and that's something he's done throughout his career, maybe personally, I wouldn't, I can't say that I know that, but certainly musically and his career, he's embraced that chaos and tried to rein it in and, and turn it into art. And sometimes it's been successful. And I would argue most of the time it's been successful, sometimes not so much, but yeah, he's big on that. I mean, the idea of don't get stuck in your rut, don't get stuck in what's comfortable, embrace the th- if there's something else that you could try, go try it. And th- this is this song is that, you know, that that in 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 3 minutes and 35 seconds, it's that kind of mentality. And if you said if there's any if there's any theme, I would say that runs through all of his work, uh, even up until recently, I mean, there's a, there's the line in high in Highlands. I mean, there's a way to get there, and I'll figure it out somehow. It's something about going somewhere and moving on to the next thing and embracing that that change. And whether it's he's talking to himself, which because he because he could be here as well. These songs are uh, virtually every Dylan song. This could be him talking to himself, but it, or it's talking to somebody else and trying to get them to scent just the idea of move on. If you're not happy with what you're doing, you're not happy where you are, you're not, ha- you're not being treated well, recognize that and move on and grab this thing. And in, in this case, literally crawl out your window, you know, come down yeah. the balcony, come out with us and go out into the night. The dark is just beginning. So it's a really, really great song. And I, I appreciate that you, that you picked this. Cause this was, again, it's not one that I would have thought of, but it's, it's a really interesting song. Glad we had a chance to talk about it on the show. Yeah, and just I like I like how Dylan he never sugarcoats the world, and I think that's one of the appeals of this music that he's like you like a Rolling Stone. This song they are tough songs, you know. It's a tough message that a lot of some people it may take some aback, you know. But it's a tough world. Dylan doesn't you know sugarcoat it, and but he at the same time as you were saying he he shows you that. There's a there's freedom and escape from all that too, and you know I think we can we can all walk away from that when listening to Dylan. I think <laughs> yeah, so gives gives us all hope, you know, even in even in the period we're in now, you know, we can get some hope from from some of these songs. So I, I ultimately think that's always what he's going for. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he has said in a in a press conference once from around this time when he was giving those absurd those absurd uh, uh press conferences where he's making fun of the press and whatever but he somebody asked him what are your songs about and he said uh every song that i sing is uh, is a, is saying uh, good luck i hope you make it and he says that's every song and i think that's it sounds like a dodge but when you when you think about it i'm like i think he's 
think he's right. I think he's being accurate. You know, he's he's giving it to he's not laying it out for you in a way that would be necessarily expected. But it yeah, I think it's in virtually every song it's it's some sort of path to getting I, hoping you I hope you make it. And he's saying that to the person in this song. And so, like I said, it's, it's a really interesting yeah. song. You can get it on iTunes. And I would, uh, I'm, we're obviously, we're going to play a little sample of it at the end of this episode. Give, give it a listen. It's really an interesting little snapshot. And I like that it just stands, again, it stands unique. Dylan has only released a handful of, of singles because he's not a singles artist. And, but this is one of them. So, uh, we, of course, we covered another one a bunch of episodes back when we did uh, George Jackson from the 70s. There aren't, aren't too Ooh. many Dylan singles, but, but this, is, this is one of them. So, uh, very cool. Eric, thank you so much for, for coming back on, man. I always appreciate uh, having, getting a chance to talk to you on the show. Where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, I am at um, BobDylanAlbumByAlbum.com. And I, I'm going through each um, Dylan album kind of reviewing offering offering some commentary on each one i haven't updated it lately but I'm, I'm kind of in the latter stages of dylan's career i'm up to modern times so i'm kind of getting into the more recent stuff you know so so if um i can i think the links you can put the link up and if anyone wants to look at it they can do that yep. so we'll have the link in the show notes so again thank you so much i appreciate it uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Of course, we're talking about Bob Dylan all the time over on Twitter, which is at pod underscore Dylan. And you can find all the back episodes of the show over on uh, the website, which is fine. What I forgot the website of my own web, of my own network, firewaterpodcast.com. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye.